Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. So as Dave mentioned, we are in a series this Lenten season that we're calling The Table. And we are looking at different instances where there are tables that people are invited to throughout Scripture and what we can learn from those. And so this one is not a common one. So we know that there was a sacrificial table. We know that there was a table in the temple that started out in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. We talked about that last week. And we know that Jesus is going to invite people to the communion table. There's parables about a banquet table. There's tables where Jesus gathered around with Pharisees and with sinners and all this, these, these beautiful gospel stories of tables. And we're going to get to some of those. But there's a unique passage that Dave wrote a song about, and it comes from the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, and then so on. But we're going to read verses 8 through 10. One day, Elisha was passing through Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to have a meal. So whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for a meal. She said to her husband, look, I am sure that this man who regularly passes our way is a holy man of God. Let us make a small roof chamber with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that he can stay there whenever he comes to us. When I was working uh, at Bethel, I got invited to a conference down in Lake Okaboji, and there's this big annual conference they have where it's about four or five nights worth of uh, meetings and services and speakers and bands. And it's this kind of whole week-long camp experience down at Lake Okaboji. And they asked me to come and be the speaker on Sunday night and then to spend the rest of the week with their college students kind of doing some discipleship stuff. And so I got to go down there and do that. And one night, the other keynote speakers they had, they, they were they're all there for the whole week. And they said, hey, all of us speakers are going to get together and have a little campfire. And then they were like, and don't tell anybody, but we're going to have some alcohol and some cigars. And I was like, whoa, you, you Baptists are nuts. You know, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, and so we went out there and we're sitting around talking and there's, you know, a number of key speakers and these, you know, people that have been doing this for a long time. And I'm kind of this, this, college guy from Bethel or whatever. And one of the people sitting around the campfire was a dean of one of a prominent seminary in New York. And, and I was kind of going in there as like the new guy, people that have been coming to this for years and they knew what they were doing. And I was like, I'm just going to go and shut up and just try to absorb and listen and maybe ask some questions. I'm not going to do a lot of talking tonight. And sure enough, this dean of this, this seminary 
But his stories were just amazing, the experiences that he had and the, the passion that he had for the gospel and the passion that he had for training young people in the faith and, and wanting to see things grow, but also the creativity in which he wanted to go about doing it. And I was like, well, tell me more. Like, what, give, me an, give me an example or something. You know, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, this one night, I was at home, and it's about 8 o'clock at night, and this doctor friend of mine, he, he's a Korean-American, he calls me up at like 8, in the, 8 o'clock at night, and he goes, he's like, are you awake? And I'm like, well, yeah, it's eight o'clock. And he goes, get dressed now. We're going. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, there's a church about an hour away and revival's breaking out. And he goes, what? And he goes, I know, I know, I know. I'm a doctor. I'm type A. You know how like logical I am, but something's happening at this church that I know about. And like, we got to go. And I was like, so what happened? He goes, so I got my clothes on and we went. We drove an hour. We walk into this church and like, He's like, you talk about the presence of the Spirit. This place was rocking. People were just like into it. And it was like something that I had never been a part of before. And I'm like, so what happened? He goes, so I'm standing there and my, my, my doctor friend, who is like as type A as it gets and as logical as it gets, he's standing there and all of a sudden he just, he just falls to the floor. And, and I'm like, oh dear, there is something happening here that I was not aware of. And, and then I felt really awkward standing here next to my friend who's on the floor. And so... I decided to lay down next to him. And I was like, you laid down next to him? And I said, and he says, yeah. And I said, well, what happened then? And he goes, well, I turned to my friend. I said, what are we doing down here? And my friend looked at me and said, I don't know, but it feels good. And he goes, you mean like you're not like slain in the spirit or like nothing like overwhelmed? He goes, no, I just saw a lot of other people laying on the ground. And I thought that looks like a good idea. And so I'm laying down here. And he goes, okay. Do you mind if I lay next to you? Nope. And he goes, we laid there for like two hours. It was beautiful. He goes, I have never felt so calm and like peaceful in the midst of, you know, excitement. He's like, I loved it. He goes, and I was like, okay, like, I, what, are you, what are you telling me? And then he goes, Jason, John chapter three says the spirit is like the wind and it blows and it's our job to try to find out what that means and where it is and to follow it and to move. And he goes, and sometimes you find yourself in a Korean American church listening to music that you don't understand the language and people are laying on the ground and you just sense that peace is here and you just have to go with it. And I was like, noted, cool. Okay, I don't really know what to do with that at that moment, right? I didn't know, what are you trying to tell me? Like, Am I supposed to change my life? Am I supposed to like become Pentecostal? I was a part of a Pentecostal university for 10 years and I saw some beautiful things and I also saw some manipulative things. I saw some fake things. I saw a lot of things. So I don't know what this is trying to tell me other than we have to be attuned to what God is up to and learn to appreciate the expressions of what God may be doing in the world and that sometimes it might take us out of our comfort zone. And so with that as a backdrop, I want to dive into the context and the story of the Shunammite woman, because this story is a weird one, and it's different than what we may expect. So for those of you that have been around for a while, you know that sometimes I turn into Professor Stephen Hagen and we get really nerdy with the Bible. Today is one of those days. So some of you are like, woo! Others of you are like, oh gosh, I didn't bring a pillow. That's okay. So here's the context. 
We've all heard of Elijah, the prophet Elijah. He's going to go to Mount Carmel, and there's this showdown on Mount Carmel between the gods of Baal and the god of, the, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this, this god of Israel. And there's a showdown on Mount Carmel, and, and God shows up in a miraculous way, and they, they have this huge thing happen. And so Elijah's this really popular prophet of God and does a lot of amazing things. But Elijah has a, an, like a, an adversary. It's Jezebel, it's Ahab, the king. And so there's tension in Israel. Lots of tension between the prophet and the king. Because the prophet is supposed to be the one that speaks truth to power. Supposed to be the one that says to the king, here's the reality of what you're doing, and here's where you need to get back on track. Ahab didn't want to listen to the prophet. So they were at odds with each other constantly. Well, Ahab's going to die. Jezebel, his wife, is going to die. And then Elijah's going to die. But Elijah has trained up Elisha. And has said, Elisha, you carry on the work. The problem for Elisha is that the whole thing that they're a part of, the whole political system, the whole, like, their, their, their spot in the world is, is like in question. And there's a, there's a curiosity of, are we going to remain a strong nation? Or now that we have the vacuum of leadership of the Ahab and Jezebel dying, that Elijah the prophet has died, is God on our side anymore? Politically, are we going to be strong anymore? And so Moab, a neighboring company, a country, goes, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put this to the test. And so Moab attacks the country of Israel. And then there's this kind of beautiful moment of unity between Israel in the north and Judah in the south, because at this time, there are two nations. They join forces together, and they push back Moab, and they bring a time of peace. And, and still, though, there's this question of, who are we going to be now that Ahab and Jezebel are gone and Elijah's gone? Who is this Elisha? What's going to happen next? And then in, in, in here's a funny story for you. In, in, in 2 Kings chapter 3, one of the earliest stories of Elisha, when he comes on the scene, there's this town that doesn't have good drinking water, and the water is poisoned, and the crops are going bad. And so they ask the prophet, can you do anything? And he's like, bring me a bowl with some new salt in it, or some salt in it. And he throws the salt in the water, and he says, now the water will be healthy to drink and healthy for your crops. And sure enough, it is, right? So he does this kind of cool miracle thing to help the town. As he's walking out of town, the boys in the neighborhood start making fun of him. They say, go away, baldy, go away, baldy. Literally, that's in the Bible, go away, baldy. They're, they're just making fun of the fact that he can't grow hair on his head. And I know some of you are like, come on. Anyway, so he does that, and you get the sense that Elisha's a little tense and that he's a little vulnerable or he's a little just angsty because he looks at these 42 boys and he says, a curse on you. And then out of the forest come two bears and they maul the boys. Like they kill all 42 of them. So that's the context going into chapter four is we've got political upheaval. We've got where is God at work? Is this new prophet really going to show up and do good work? And it seems like maybe yes, but also maybe no. Like, who is this Elisha guy, and is he worth, like, leading us and helping guide us into God's presence? There's a whole lot of chaos happening. And so Elisha, who, like most prophets at the time, doesn't really have a home base. He's traveling around and trying to do good work. And he comes upon the city of Shunem, and he meets this woman who says, come to my house for a meal. Come to my house for a meal. 
And so he goes there and they have a meal. And he, every time he passes through, he has a meal. She says to her husband, let's prepare a room for him with a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp. And so they create this. He stays there multiple times. His servant Gehazi is there with him. And they say, we got to pay her back somehow. What do you think we should do? And his servant says, well, you know, I, I know she doesn't have a kid and her husband's getting kind of old, so they might not be able to have children anymore. So maybe, maybe we could help with a miracle and she could have a son. And so they call her into the room upstairs and they're like, hey, guess what we're going to do for you? We're going to give you a son by this time next year. You will have a baby. And she goes, first of all, don't play with me. That isn't cool to mess with me like that. That's literally the translation. No, I'm kidding. But it's close. She, she says to him, don't mess with me like that. And he goes, no, no, I'm being serious. This will happen. And, and, she, and, and, he, and she's like, you know, I don't need it. I have everything I need in my community. I'm good. Like, I'm solid here. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to have a kid. And so they go away. Sure enough, a year later, she has a son. The son grows up. They keep this relationship going. He, he connects with them, stays in their upper room over and over. And then one time while he's away, the son gets in an accident and dies. And so she sends, she tells her husband, I'm going to go get the prophet because I told him, don't mess with me. This isn't supposed to happen. And so she goes and finds the prophet and he says, let me send my servant. He's going to lay my staff or my cloak over the boy and the boy will be fine. And she said, nope, I don't want your servant to come. I want you to come. And he goes, no, 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 it's going to be okay. My servant, well, I'll send my servant. And she goes, no, man of God, you're going to come and you're going to fix this. And so Elisha goes with her, goes to the room and he, he goes up into the upper room and he helps, he prays and does whatever he's supposed to do. And the boy resurrects and is given back to his mother. Beautiful, dynamic story, weird story. Like, what is this here to teach us, right? And here's the thing. I want to dive in and get into the nitty-gritty for a second because there's some key details that help illuminate for us what we can learn from it. The first thing is that there's this Hebrew word gadol. Everyone say gadol. Gadol. Okay, gadol is the word that we get in the translation that means wealthy in this translation. So when it says there was a wealthy woman in the city of Shunem or in the land of Shunem, that's the word gadol. Sometimes translations will actually translate it large. Um, sometimes they've even translated it in the past. They thankfully don't do that now, where they've translated it like fat. Um, they've also translated it as notable. And so we have this wealthy, large, notable woman in the city of Shunem. Now, here's the problem with what translators are doing, because I don't know if you've, maybe I've mentioned this before, but sometimes our translations are terrible. Sometimes they don't really uh, do the text a, a, like a good, honest understanding of what's really happening here. Sometimes the English is just messy or we have to pick a word because in English there's like 45,000 words and in Hebrew there's 4,000 words. So every Hebrew word takes on multiple meanings and we got to pick one English word out of these five Hebrew words. And so it can get kind of confusing really quickly. So this word gadol does, could mean wealthy. It could mean large. It could mean notable. But it also means greatness, influential, and revered. In one commentary that I read, this word gadol is often used to talk about the most revered rabbis in, in the time, in, in, in Israel at the time. So this word in the Bible has been used at very key moments. In the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the sun and the moon, they're called gadol, great, 
the greatness of the sun and the moon. When Abraham is called away from his hometown and he's called to go and become a great nation, the original calling of Abraham that sets the trajectory for all of Israel and puts our Bible into motion, that word for the great nation is the word gadol. Sarcastically, in the book of Esther, the king of Assyria is called Gadol. Now, he is Gadol because he's super wealthy, but he's not Gadol because he's selfish. Okay, so the, the writer in Esther is being funny about what Gadol means. And so this word is not wealthy, notable. It's not large. This word is meant to be great, influential, revered. And yet our translators have said, well, it's just a wealthy woman. I think, now, if I'm being kind, it's, well, maybe they just thought she was wealthy because she could afford to add a room to her house for someone else to stay in, and that could very well be the case. But if I'm being a little cynical, which I don't mind being once in a while, I don't think translators like the idea of a woman being compared to Abraham. I think that was a problem for some people. And so instead of calling her great, instead of calling her influential, Instead of calling her the revered one, they said, well, she just had some money. Now, I don't know about you, but I know people that have money, and they are not revered. They are not that great, and they are not that influential. And then there are people that we know who are truly great and influential, and we should revere the presence because the way they show up in the world brings peace and justice, and it brings a grace that we are just in awe of and we want to be like. We know the difference between someone who's wealthy and someone who's truly revered. And the translators of this text didn't give this woman credit. And if we're meant to wonder, is she being compared to Abraham just with this word? No. What happened with Abraham and Sarah? They couldn't have a child. They couldn't continue this great nation. And what did the divine figure come and promise to them? That by this time next year, you will have a child. And sure enough, Sarah got pregnant and the line continued through Isaac and then Jacob and then so on. We are meant to pick up the commonalities and the similarities between these stories. The woman of Shunem is great and influential and should be revered. Because what she's doing in this passage, the hospitality that she shows, and the wisdom that she has is monumental and beautiful, especially at a time when the, when the group of people, when Israel at this time is wondering, who are we and where is God? Where is God among us? So let me ask, let me talk for a minute about this table and this chair and this lamp. Because when I read this, the first I don't know, thousand times I've ever read this. I was like, okay, cool. A bed, a chair, a table, and a lamp. And then I was talking with my friend, and I've mentioned them before because I'm, they're super nerdy and beautiful and wonderful, and they're so smarter than I am. I was talking with my friend Stephanie and Lisa, and we were dialoguing about this passage. And she said, did you know that that table isn't an ordinary table? And I was like, tell me more. She said, that table is actually the same word, the same table that is found in the tabernacle. And I was like, hmm, okay, go on. 
And she said, did you know that that word for chair is not just any old chair that you would have in your home, but the chair, the word for chair that's being used there is a throne or a seat of power? And I was like, ooh, tell me more. And she said, did you know that the lamp is not just a common light or a common lamp? There are Hebrew words that could be a common lamp or a common light for a room. But did you know that that word is the word menorah, which is the lampstand that's found in the tabernacle, that's found in the temple that was lit during Hanukkah? Did you know that that is the word used there? And I was like, okay. So what are the ramifications of that? And she's like, well, Jason, what do you think the ramifications are? And I said, well, Stephanie, well, Lisa, I think what the authors could be telling us, I think what this woman could be saying to the prophet is that, man of God, you aren't bringing God here because God already resides in this place. Because the temple and the tabernacle, the table, the lampstand, the chair, is an indication not of what needs to come, but of where God's presence already lies. And so when we read this passage, we are not reading that she set up just a simple place for them to stay. What we are reading is that this woman is indicating to the prophet, if you're wondering where God is at in this country, if you're wondering where holiness resides, if you're wondering where God's presence is manifesting, it's right here. You're not bringing it. It's already in this place. Oh, now that is a woman to be revered. That's an influential person. That's greatness. Because here's what this woman, in my estimation, was doing. She wasn't speaking truth to power. She was living truth to the power. The prophet comes with the ability to make rivers healthy again, with the ability to call down bears out of the woods, with the ability to stop armies from attacking nations, as we, as we would read if we kept going in the story. The prophet has immense power, the power of God to do miraculous things. And here she is saying, I'm going to show you how we live here in Shunem. We live as if God is present right here. I don't need you to do a miracle for me in order to feel whole. I don't need a child to feel whole. Don't mess with me if you're going to do that. And if you're going to do that, you're going to follow through on that promise. Because this is where holiness is already present. And I'm living that truth. And then she's going to follow that up and say, I'm going to hold you accountable to that truth. She's going to hold power accountable. There's this beautiful greatness of this woman, this beautiful, influential woman, this, this revered woman who lives truth to power and holds power accountable. There is something the prophet does. He's willing to see that God is residing in a place that he didn't expect. That that is a place to come back to. That that is a place to be revered. That that is a place to do good work. And we're going to see the prophet have a different posture going forward from this story. We're going to see Elisha not be this vengeful, spiteful, 
angry prophet who's willing to call bears out of the forest to maul children. Instead, he's actually going to be someone who's going to find peaceful resolutions to conflict. There's a story of the army coming to get people, and he asks for God to blind them, and they become blind, and he goes out to the army, and he says, follow me, you're going the wrong way. And so he leads them right into the land where they their enemy, and the army is like, oh, we went the wrong way. And they're like, we ended up in the camp of our enemy. And the king of that area goes, well, prophet, you led them here. What do you want me to do? Slaughter them? Take them all out? And he goes, are you kidding? They're political prisoners. Feed them, clothe them, bathe them, and then send them back to their master. Send them back, and they won't be your enemy anymore. There's a peaceful resolution to this. And sure enough, there's a feast that happens. They get clothed, and they get sent back, never to attack Israel again. There's a peaceful resolution. There's a different posture that Elisha's going to have after his interaction with this great not simply wealthy, not large, not notable, but this great revered woman of Shunem. Last Wednesday, thanks to an invitation that was kind of initiated by someone in our congregation, I was going to be going down to the Capitol last Wednesday to say an opening prayer for the session on Wednesday morning for our, our representatives here in Minnesota. And I was really excited to go do this because we had just worked through these six weeks on the Lord's Prayer, and I was actually going to read my um, reworking of the Lord's Prayer on the floor of the Minnesota House of Representatives. And I was really excited to get to say this articulation of the Lord's Prayer in front of them. Um, but at the last minute on Monday morning, I got an email and it said, we're actually not having session. Can you come back later in March? And I was like, okay, sure. So instead, I was able to keep my regular um, time with the chaplain down at Hamlin, Kelly Figueroa Ray. She and I get together every other week on Wednesday, and we talk about life as Methodists and you know ministry on the college campus, ministry in the local community, and we get to just hold each other accountable, talk about the Bible, talk about whatever is going on with ministry life. And so it's a great friendship that I've developed over the last year. And so she and I were able to have our normal meeting, and when I got there, she's like, hey, come with me. We need to go to the food bank. And I was like, okay. And so we went to the food bank and she's like, we're short staffed. Do you mind tearing apart boxes for the morning? I was like, no problem. And then she goes, oh, the shipment's going to be here in about 15 minutes. So let's grab a cup of coffee and then we'll help with the shipment. And so we didn't even get through the cup of coffee and the shipment came. And then we spent the rest of the time together unloading all the food into the freezers as students were coming to get it. Because even though this institution and these students are paying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to go there a year, there are dozens, if not over like hundreds of students on the college campus that don't always have the ability to buy food and they rely upon this food bank that the school has started and so we're unloaded boxes of chicken and all this rice and we're unloading popcorn which I they told me I had to take a bag and it was really good um spicy cheddar popcorn anyway my wife likes it um and so we were unloading all this food and she goes it'll be gone before the day is over and we were unloading food for like 45 minutes, like five of us just putting food in freezers over and over and over. And she's like, this will be gone before the end of the day. And so I had this moment of sitting in this interesting tension of thinking my day was going to be an opportunity to speak a little truth to power, to speak a little gospel, a little, you know, insight, a little justice to the people that get to make laws in our nation. And instead, I found myself tearing apart cardboard boxes and putting food in freezers 
And right before I left doing that, which I was glad to be able to do, of course, but right as we were leaving, this student came up and he had his bag full of food and he looked at his watch and he looked at Kelly and he goes, you know what? I got a little time. I'm going to help unload the next shipment because I think it's coming in right now. And so here's this student who is not having enough food unless there's a food bank. And not only is he using the food bank responsibly, but he's willing to put in the work for others to get food too. That moment for me, seeing that student's humility and generosity and care for his fellow student, it really struck me that am I the type of person that does that kind of work? Am I the kind of person that recognizes the needs of others around me and is willing to humbly go about that work? Because it's easy for me to think my role is to speak truth to power, because there's always someone more powerful than us. It's, it's easy for us to, to identify with the Shunammite woman and say, you know, we got something to say to those in power. But what if, what if we're the prophet? What if we have power? Are we willing to learn from those? Are we willing to be humbled enough to grow? I think that's the power of this story. That's the power of Gadol. That's the greatness of this story. That's what we can revere, is that we have to live truth to power. We have to hold power accountable. And then we have to humbly be willing to see where God is at work, to see what the Spirit is up to, and flow in that direction. In a, in a few weeks or months, whenever this happens, Kelly's going to send us an invite to help with the food bank. She's going to ask us if we'd be willing to participate in what they're doing, trying to help these students make sure they have enough food. And I hope that we respond. I hope that we can be the type of people that say, let's do the hard work of, of loving these students that are just trying to get an education and figure out their direction in life. How can we help them? How can we come alongside? How can we be partners with a good ministry doing good work in the world? How can we do those little things that are truly great? Let's pray. God of grace, spirit that blows like the wind, may we see where you are at and may we move. May we flow towards your goodness, your greatness, your mercy and your justice. May we find ways, may we find ways to go about living truth to power. May we find ways to hold power accountable and may we truly be humble enough to see where you're at work. May we learn and grow so that we can be effective in this world that we can see all flourish, not just some, but all. May we do so with grace and humility. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I got a few quick announcements for our community as we are moving forward in the Lenten season. And the first one is just a reminder that Lent is continuing through Easter, and we want you to join us on this Lenten journey for these next 40 days. The way that you can join us is if there, if you look out on that black bulletin board there, we got a 
section for fasting and prayer and service. And so you can fill out a card with ways that you intend to fast or pray or a, an act of service that you are going to commit to during these 40 days. Um, if you want more conversation about that, please feel free to pull me aside and ask me more about what we mean by all of that. These are kind of the traditional historical practices that the church engages in during the Lenten season. And so we're inviting you into that. And you don't have to have started on Ash Wednesday. You can start, you know, good Friday if you want. Um, but the, the hope is that we build some practices and rhythms during these 40 days. Um, and so feel free to fill out a card. Um, the cards are just there for like accountability and to like see as a community how we're all practicing this together. I'm sure there are ways that we're privately doing these things, but it's nice to also be able to see what one another is doing and know how to pray for each other during this season. Coming up on March 17th, so a few Sundays from now, this is just kind of an advanced heads up. We are going to be having our uh, kind of monthly family game night, 5 to 7 o'clock. Bring a dish to share. Bring some friends. We're going to have the Mario Kart screen up and so the kids can play. But then here's the special thing is Teal in Teal is going to be helping us with a carrot project. So a craft project with Teal. Um, and so you can see a picture of the craft project. It's really cool. Um, and so nicely done, Teal. We are looking forward to that one. Make sure to come on out family game night on March 17th. And then the final uh, announcement for this morning is I just want to give you a heads up for the Tuesday news that's coming up this week. We're going to have a special note in there about what we can do for the Little Free Library. And so we want to Kind of each month, Cindy and others have been very specific about helping us know how to stock it well for the season that we're in. So for the February, we had books on black history and, and other things about like the Ash Wednesday and the Lenten journey. And so we want to kind of turn our attention to some themes that are going to be coming up in March. And so be on the lookout for that update coming in the Tuesday news. So if you aren't signed up for the Tuesday news, you can go to our website, go to the very bottom, and you can subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out usually on a Wednesday or a Thursday, even though we call it Tuesday news. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace. Thank you.